This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Today's episode of the Chase Thomas Podcast is brought to you by our presenting sponsor, Ponco Chicken. Ponco Chicken, if you did not already know, is a unique spin on Japanese and Western cuisine. Uh, there are stores, if you're not familiar, um, all around the Atlanta area. Uh, there's one in Marietta now. There's one in Buckhead. There's one in Shambly. There's one in uh, Midtown. They're popping up everywhere because Ponco is awesome and uh, they're like family. So um, go check out Ponco if you have not already. It is the home of the award-winning Japanese American Chicken Tender. Just to brag on them a little bit more, they were Verizon Super Bowl Live top-selling vendor, three-peat Taste of Atlanta award winner, um, Midtown Alliance Best Taste winner. Just they won all the awards because Ponco is great and Ponco is delicious. So if you are in the Atlanta area and are looking to try something new and good and delicious, go check out Ponco Chicken today and tell them that I sent you over. Uh, also, if you have not already, go check out ChaseThomasPodcast.com. It's where all of my episodes to all of my podcasts are, all of my writing that I do, uh, more information on me and who I am um, and why you should be listening to this podcast and reading my work and all of that great stuff. Go do that. Go to Chase Thomas Podcast today. If you're an Apple podcast listener, go ahead and leave me five stars and a rating and a review. That's great. I need it. Um, it helps the show continue to grow and all of that good stuff. Um, you can listen on SoundCloud, Spotify, like I said, Apple, Google Play, everywhere where you can get your podcast. The Chase Thomas Podcast will be there. So go do that today. Um, all right. I think that's everything. We can get into today's episode. Uncle Darren, let's go. Chase Thomas Podcast. The Chase Thomas Podcast. Um, my nephew needs me to record. See, I hate. I already hate it. I hate it. All right. Welcome back to a Monday afternoon edition of the Chase Thomas Podcast. Dan from Valley, Bleacher Report, Harwood Knox. He's back. How's it going, buddy? I'm doing well, Chase. How are you doing? I'm good. I'm good. It is another gloomy, disgusting, Londonish day in Atlanta. Um, after just, we, did you know we had snow? It was like 70 degrees one day. We had snow Saturday. It's pouring down rain, had flooding issues and tornado watch on Thursday. Um, so where I live is losing its mind. Uh, <laughs> I don't know if that's the case where you are, but uh, I live in a just a weather vortex that is um, quite bizarre. We had the same thing in New York on Friday, basically. There was high winds, um, but it was also sunny. It was cloudy. It rained. It snowed. It was warm in the middle of the day, and then it got really cold. It was it was the most bizarre thing that I've ever experienced. Maybe not the most. It definitely wasn't detrimental. I'd say there were like power lines and stuff that fell and like the telephone poles and everything um, because of the high wind advisories, but – it, it was it was pretty wild, just the the sheer range of weather that we experienced from early Friday Friday morning through early Friday evening. 
I told myself a long time ago I'd never be that person who talks about the weather, but I am that person who talks about the weather now, closing in on 30. Um, and that is, I, you know what? I'm, I'm going to be okay with it this week because the weather was insane enough for me to talk about it. That is, that is my excuse for becoming an elderly gentleman, um, at 28 who brings up the weather. Like, Hey, how about that weather? Um, that is, that is my brand now, uh, along with basketball and basketball is something that we're going to talk about today. I, I don't know if a lot of people know this yet. Um, you're, you definitely know this. Uh, Jason Tatum is a superstar now, and that leap is, I think, not being talked about enough as something that changes the landscape of not only the NBA, but just the Eastern Conference over the next five years. Um, I think it's my favorite development this year because I always love when wings make the leap. And because like after a certain amount of years, you're either going to be Rudy Gay or you're going to be a superstar. And the wings that don't figure it out, the Torian Princes, guys like Harrison Barnes, Rudy Gay, guys like that, just they, they don't figure it out. They don't get the handle. They don't get the step back three. They don't get the defensive tenacity. They don't get the passing. They don't just become the playmaker that's they, – they look like they could be. They just don't – that's not who they are, and that's not who they develop into. Um, Tatum looks like he might be that after that great rookie season that he might just be one of those forgettable wings. Um, not the case. Jason Tatum, um, last 10 games, 26 points per game, six rebounds a game, three assists, two steals, shooting 49% from the field, 44% from three, and uh, 83% from the free throw line. Uh, fifth in real plus minus. He's a good defender. Um, he has one of my favorite step back slide threes, which I don't know how he gets off and makes look as fluid as it does. Um, am I overestimating just how good Jason Tatum is now? Or are you with me in that like this is this is a thing no it's definitely a thing and i i still think that his defense might impress me more than his offense at this point uh, his you know, because his efficiency on offense just isn't great uh he his finishing around the rim i think it's become too much of a joke although i am here for for the jokes uh, but it's not great relative to the league average uh, he can still take some pretty bad shots, bails out on drives, but the fact that he's still so good despite all that, and it's like you said, the, his escape dribble threes have become a thing, and I know they're more popular around the NBA in general, but very few players have those shots look as fluid yeah. as he does. And so that's really incredible. And defensively, though, to me, I, there's there seems like there's like this divisive uh, or there are two separate camps where it's Jason Tatum's overrated on defense or he's really good on defense. There's no in-between. And maybe I fall into the extremist of he's really good on defense, but he's just sort of everywhere. And I think the yep. positional optionality that he gives you um, where you have the fact that he can he can defend stronger guys. Like he can get in the post. Like he can go up against guys who are going to face off and uh, face up and, and try and bully him. And he, and he can have his hands and break up pass. He's just all over the court and the ground that he can cover is – is really impressive to me. And so that's what's stood out this season more so than anything else, at least in my opinion. I still think he has room to grow on offense substantially, and that's actually pretty scary. But like, what happens if he starts moving the ball a little bit more on his drives? Or what if he just doesn't pick up his dribble as early? Or what if he just starts you know, hitting more shots around, around the rim? And it always seems like he's missing the bunnies and then just hitting these ridiculous looks, which is – that's not great, but it's almost encouraging because you've seen him make some absurdly difficult finishes. And so I don't know what his ceiling is 
in the league, but I think he still has that top 10 to top 15 player window. He's not inside it yet, but I think he's shown that he has a clear path to getting there. I think he has a top five player ceiling at this point. I think he can get in that, which the timing is perfect for him and the Celtics because they really, they probably wouldn't admit this, but they probably, they they just, they needed either him or Jalen Brown to become a top five player. Like to save their next decade, um, they needed after missing out on Kyrie and everything and that unfolding the way it did. Um, Hayward's injury, he's not going to be that guy. It's they just needed one of these guys to hit because Kemba's never going to be a top ten player. It's they just needed one of these guys. They needed one if they were going to legitimately get into the title conversation in the next couple of years. One of these guys has to have that kind of upside. It's just part of part of basketball. You the they're having more fun this year. That's all great, but you needed one of those guys to really break through. And I think we're seeing it now with Tatum. And like you said, he's the bunnies and stuff around the rim still struggling there. But the fact that he's so good on defense and his just shot making the difficult shots being what they are, I I'm just incredibly encouraged. And I think. Like him averaging 30 in two years isn't crazy. Um, I think he gets hit like he's going to continue getting to the line. I think he's going to continue just developing. Like that dude is clearly on the upward trajectory. And I um, I wonder if the Celtics win because they're, I mean, we know Danny Ainge is always thinking down the line and all that kind of stuff. But if Giannis leaves after next year, which I would still like, if it's <laughs> like, I think we should always assume a superstar at this point is leaving after that contract like that. If they don't win the title, he's probably leaving. Even Kawhi won the title and still left. Um, I just, I would bet on him leaving until proven. Otherwise I would say he's going to go that point. Milwaukee's out Phillies and shambles right now. You look around the rest of the East and you're like, well, if Tatum becomes that top five player and with the rest of that roster around him, like the Celtics have a really good shot at making a multiple, uh time trip to the nba finals in the next couple years like they just have to wait this out keep developing tatum let kimba be the transitional uh quote-unquote star and get there just wait on Giannis. and i think they're they're really close and i'm just fascinated by how they operate over the next couple seasons while tatum becomes a full-blown superstar and what they do in the playoffs because it was so much fun watching tatum in the playoffs a couple years ago that now with Kyrie no longer there, I think we have a real opportunity of him being the point forward in big series that I want to see. I want to see how Tatum does because I do think he seems like one of those guys who just he has he has it. And I I like when wings pan out because I get very frustrated when wings turn into Torian Prince. <laughs> so the thing for me with Tatum that I think could probably prevent him from getting to the top five to seven ceiling is that when you look at the players who populate uh, that territory right now, they are the primary playmakers for their team. And he just hasn't shown the ability to do that opportunity. I think if it, I think even when he had the, the window in the playoffs, I mean, even this year when he's going to have more control over the outcomes of possessions, I know that Kemba Walker's there. It's just not the evidence isn't there that he could be that player. I think it's you need the Kawhi Leonard or even the Kevin Durant evidence where, you know, yes, they're seeding control. Um, I mean, Kawhi Leonard is different because he is that guy now and, and sort of was in Toronto. Um, but next to Kyle Lowry, it was clear that he sort of had those chops. Even when he was on the Spurs, it was clear that he had 
those chops. And then Kevin Durant playing alongside Russell Westbrook or playing alongside Stephen Curry um, and Draymond Green, you knew that he could carry an offense on his own. And so the returns are the turns are still wonky there when you look at the Celtics' on-off splits. I think he can get to a point where he is carrying it above offense, above average offense on his own, but it does seem like the players that are in the top five to seven range are primary playmaker material, and he's yet to show that for me. Which is fair, and some of that I just don't think is his fault. Like, I just, they had Kyrie, and then they had Kemba. Like, they haven't had a situation where, like, Hayward was fortunate enough to grow up in Utah, and... He became the lead ball handler. He had Dante Exum and friends back there. Like he was put in a position to do that. Um, in San Antonio, Kawhi was put in a position to eventually do that. Um, I don't think the Celtics want him doing that yet. I think they're taking the long road with him. I think he is. It just, I would not be surprised if that's his primary responsibility in two years. Like, I just don't think they really feel like they need to do that with him yet. And they are going to keep easing him slowly. He's, Young dude, and if he's already averaging 26 at this age and playing the defense that he's playing, I I think they're probably just happy with where where he is. They're just content, and they're like, well, the final piece of the puzzle is when Kemba is no longer a star and uh, Jason Tatum is bringing the ball up 60% of the time. Well, it might even be if once Gordon Hayward leaves too, and then that's someone else who doesn't have the ball in their hands as frequently. Sure. And I think that's a sneaky, like, when I've been thinking about what the NBA landscape looks like, uh, this summer because just the free agent class is just so bad. Um, we know how much the Heat wanted Hayward uh, before the injury and everything else, and he almost chose the Heat. The Heat are all in. They got Iggy. Bam Adebayo is on a ridiculous contract. They they, they have a lot of one-year deals, like Myers Leonard and everybody else who's making a lot of money for one year. Goran Dragic, a lot of money off the books. Um, you already have Jimmy. You already have Andre. You have Tyler Hero. You have a lot of guys now that makes sense um, to go all in. Pat Riley's going all in. I would not be surprised if Gordon Hayward doesn't opt into his player option next year. And he's like, no, I'm going to go start for the Heat and play with Jimmy and friends. Like, I would not be surprised if Pat Riley gets Gordon Hayward this summer. I mean, they'll have not the cap space to absorb his salary outright, but they could right. they could probably get there one if they wanted to, or they can, they can concoct some deals. I'd be interested to see what... Boston would want for him, but I would think if he does opt in, this is definitely the the summer to explore scenarios, and it doesn't even have to be Miami. But you know, can you work out some? Uh, one of the things I've thought about, given cursory thought too, like not in depth, where I've looked at the actual framework, but like what about Gordon Hayward in Orlando, sending Aaron Gordon to Indiana, and then Boston gets Miles Turner, and then that's just the framework of that deal. Mm. Like there are other be other pieces involved, and Hayward's played pretty well. If they make it far enough in the playoffs, maybe you don't want to get rid of him. But the center position, look, it's working by committee, and I know it's the most devalued position right now in basketball. Uh, Turner, someone who you know, I don't know if you like him going up against Joel Embiid, but he's not. You know, do you? How much do you like Daniel Tice and uh, Shemi Ojeli going up against Joel Embiid, and Dennis Canner going up against Joel Embiid? Turner just can be really quick on his feet. He's a little bit passive on the offensive end, but he, he can pop off screens, which is something Boston usually wants. <clears throat> excuse me from its big. So that's something I've. I've given thought to is that if you want to expand the playmaking roles for both Brown and Tatum, you, you don't ever get rid of the point. <clears throat> Excuse me again. You don't ever get rid of the point guard. Like that's having Kemba Walker, I think is an important buffer for those two. But if you wanted to, and there's a, a situation where you could actually get value for Gordon Hayward, he's someone who, if he opts in, I could see him being moved be- before next year. Yeah. Um, it's interesting. There's so many what ifs, and I love doing the what if game. But like, if Hayward doesn't get hurt against the Cavs on opening night, and he's exactly the guy he was in Utah, 
Does the Tatum and Jalen Brown development still happen? Is Kyrie still there? Does Kimball Walker come? Does, like It's so interesting to think about what all these guys do because if Hayward is still a star and doesn't get injured, Tatum doesn't have the season that he had that year. He doesn't become... This is basically his team now. Um, everything about their future it revolves around what Tatum becomes and what he already is. And Hayward's just an afterthought. He's the guy who should be leading uh, the second unit. He's just not the star. He's playing well, but he's just not not the same. And he's not asked to be the same. And he just feels like he is a casualty, um, an unfortunate casualty to injury. And he's just an odd man out uh, in Boston. So I do wonder what we think about Jason Tatum um, in 2020 if Gordon Hayward never actually gets hurt. And what if they move Tatum because uh, Hayward's just playing so well and they have these other stars and they are still big game hunting instead of what they're doing now, which is bet on their development internally. Yeah, I don't know if they actually would have moved him because they they say they were going to take him number one overall had they kept that uh, pick that they traded to Philly. So I actually think that they were and, – and Boston has historically always just overvalued its own players. So I don't know if that was the danger, but there's definitely – the what if scenario that you mentioned of what if Kyrie never gets injured? What if Hayward never gets injured? And he's not even given the opportunity to stand out during that rookie year as a guy who can really score in an in transition yep. and then off the catch. And then it's the Kyrie injury that really paved the way for him to be sort of more of the, the on ball weapon. So it's just interesting how the, the cause and effect of dif- of different things. And, and it would be interesting to think about that, but they, he's certainly, I think a worthwhile franchise cornerstone that he showed thus far. And after the way that Jalen Brown's uh, extension was negotiated in what is going to be a tight restricted free agency market. You just know that Jason Tatum is going to get that max, max, max extension. I don't know if it's going to be four years, maybe it's five years, but I'd be shocked if he's, there's always those extension candidates that are sort of formalities. I would assume he has to be one now, given the way that the Jalen Brown extension unfolded. Are you surprised they didn't make a move for a big no, just because they didn't have the salary matching tools to do so. And so unless you were going to trade, you know, a Kemba, a Tatum or a Marcus Smart it, it just or Gordon Hayward, it just wasn't going to happen. It seems like they maybe could have made a smaller move on the margins, but maybe they're just uh, chancing that they can do that on the buyout market. You know, Tristan Thompson, I know the news is that they're not going to broker a buyout in Cleveland, but they have Andre Drummond, Kevin Love, Larry Nance Jr. and Tristan Thompson on the same basketball team. Maybe that becomes an option and there's always there's always names that enter the buyout market that you don't expect like tyler johnson with phoenix uh, the news dropping down on, on sunday night about that so i don't i'm not surprised that they did whether they should have uh, that's open for debate i just don't know who the guy was for them because they just didn't have the, the salary matching tools to go after one of the bigger names like steven adams like that was basically off the table unless they brokered these it would have been like a seven for one swap essentially or you have to give up hayward in that deal also, they're playing well with Ennis Kanter and Daniel Tice. Daniel Tice has a 126, um, 103 offensive rating, defensive rating when he's on the floor for Boston this year. Um, Kanter has the highest offensive rating of anyone on the team uh, with 126. And their defensive rating, though, is uh, 102. So it's not terrible. Like, they're okay. I think they're fine with everything. And we haven't even really talked about Jalen Brown, but he's shooting almost the same clip from three that uh, Jason Tatum is. They're averaging close to the same amount of points. Like Jalen Brown has been awesome too. Like I, I don't know. I feel like this happens sometimes in basketball where we, we just think some guys just, some teams just arrive faster than we think. 
and this happened with the Warriors. This happens with other teams like that, uh, the Thunder, whoever. Is there a chance that Boston is that next team that just arrives in the playoffs faster than we thought with these young guys? That they just really break through and we're like, oh, they have Kobe and Paul George now. That is just what is happening, and they are about to take over the East for the next couple of years. Like there is another level that we're just going to see in the playoffs that we just aren't expecting yet. And we've all penciled in the bucks to just run rough shot over the rest of the East. I don't necessarily expect it to happen, but it would not surprise me if Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum just wreck the East and just have this crazy coming out party, either this playoffs or next playoffs. It's definitely possible. It almost feels for them though, that, they're overdue because everyone builds mm. them as that team after but they're the 21 run. and 23. They're young. Jason Tatum is 21 years old. I'm not saying they're, they're actually late, but just the way that the perception tilted after that playoff push in 2018, yeah. it feels like last year was the letdown where they were, you know, the Sixers are basically last year's Celtics when you look at mm. what's happening. So there's if you if you expected them to take a dramatic step back following the loss of Kyrie Irving and Al Horford, then certainly that's something to look into. But I think everyone who understood how good Kemba Walker was maybe expected the Celtics to at least be on par with where they were last year. That said, if they go into an Eastern Conference Finals matchup with the Bucs or if they make it out of the Eastern Conference in in any form, then, yeah, that that's a, that's a shock. And this team is once again a, ahead of schedule. Yeah, Um well, let's let's talk about the Sixers for a second because I want to pick your brain on them. And Elton Brand did not make a move at the deadline. Uh, people are I, I, the the coverage around um, Glenn Robinson and Alec Burts for this team was um, was wild. Um, they're not going to move the needle. They're not going to swing a playoff series. None of that matters. Like they're they, they that's fine. Whatever. Um, nice step to get through the rest of the regular season. Just that is not the biggest issue for them. Um, we've heard Al Horford's comments and what's going on with Philly is just awkward and weird. And Ben Simmons played really well without Embiid. Um, both are great players. Both are, you can make the case are top 10 players. Um, were you at all surprised that they were quiet the deadline that they didn't at least try and move Horford or somebody that even Tobias Harris and just mix and match these pieces? Because this was a team that if that Kawhi bounce doesn't go Toronto's way like there's a very real simple scenario where the Sixers win the title last year like that is very much a strong possibility if they win that game um now it seems like they're headed towards a first round exit now they're just a disappointment now there's Brian Windhorst coming on his podcast this week talking about teams around the league are wondering when they're going to put Joel Embiid on the market like there's just a lot of new interesting wrinkles that are coming out of philly and it seems premature because we have to see what they do in the playoffs again this year because i think they are just such a tough out especially defensively over a seven game series i just i i have a lot of thoughts on philly i just i don't feel great about any of them i just don't have a definitive take on philadelphia do you i i think they've just built the team so poorly around their two cornerstones. I wasn't surprised that they didn't make a big move at the deadline just because they ran into the same issues with the Celtics. Unless you're going to trade one of your five best players or in the Celtics case, six, you just didn't have the money to make something happen and to go and make the type of shakeup like a moving a Joel Embiid 
um, in the middle of the season. That's just it's not realistic because those the returns then take time to adjust to and a team trying to integrate and bead that takes time. And, and so it just wasn't realistic in my mind. I don't even know how realistic it is over the summer. And then also the Tobias Harris and Al Horford contracts now are just suddenly ones that aren't going to be attractive on the trade market. And so they might struggle to they won't struggle to break this team up if they want to because ben simmons um he was functionally untradeable because of his extension but they could move him this summer if they want i just my whole thing is yes maybe at some point maybe even this summer they need to make the choice is it joel Embiid or ben simmons that we're going to build around but you took two guys who are essentially non-shooters even though joel Embiid is willing to shoot threes he's just not hitting them at a, a high clip and you didn't surround them with these just surefire floor spacers. Tobias Harris is mostly a good shooter, but you likes to have the ball in his hands. Josh Richardson is a good shooter, but he's never really been like this, this high volume guy. And then Al Horford has always been sort of on the line. Yeah. Above average for his position, but is he, he's never shot them in this kind of volume and his catch and shoot percentage has plummeted. And so what you really need is either really talented ball handlers around them and, or shooters. And they let one of each of those guys leave. J.J. Redick can both handle the ball and shoot. And then Jimmy Butler, I don't know if they let him leave, but they certainly facilitated his move to Miami. Yeah, they wanted Jimmy Butler back. I think J.J. they let leave, and I think they really wanted Jimmy Butler back. But those two losses it, are what Brutal. this team really needed. And so yeah. the fact that they've built a team the way that they have, within the limitations that Simmons and Embiid together present them with, that's on – the Sixers, the front office, just everyone who's assembled this team. I get that maybe Simmons and Embiid aren't the perfect pairing, but you could just surround them with, again, surefire knockdown shooters, and it will work. And the Sixers decided, no, we're not going to do that. And that's that's dumb. And now maybe they will have to go and break up this team over the summer. And I don't think that they necessarily need to. I think it was or needed to. Maybe now they need to because you can't move the guys that some of the guys that are sort of infringing upon the fit, like Tobias Harris and Horford. I don't know what the market for them will be over the summer, but it didn't need to get to this point. It's it's they've just inefficiently built the supporting cast around their two best players, which is the whole point of your best players is to build the team around them. And, and they almost built it in spite of them, which again, it just makes no sense. Yeah. I think um, if Jimmy stays like I, I think getting what they got for Jimmy um, to leave and instead of getting him for not letting him leave for nothing was was nice and i still like josh richardson he's just not the kind of player that jj is which is fine and i think josh richardson's gonna be extremely helpful in the playoffs um defending the kind of guys that he'll need to defend but i um i don't know i think the biggest issue i have with them is that elton brand being a former big decided that spending a lot of money on al horford when you already have joel Embiid was a good idea and that was my biggest issue is like jimmy butler i can understand because guess what you can't force the guy to stay you took a big swing the ball didn't go your way he wanted to live in miami can't blame him then jj jj took a bigger deal in new orleans like that one that sucked and i think they knew that jj was incredibly important to them their offensive rating right now is 20th in the league like that's just not good enough to win, a, win the title their defense is good enough their defense is gonna be a pain in the ass in the playoff their defense is enough to win a championship but that offense, especially in the half court, is dog shit. And they don't have the recipe internally right now to fix that. So it's just got to be frustrating if you're a Philly fan because you were so damn close last year. And the front office, like you said, responded by limiting their shooting, adding Al Horford, adding more defensive pieces, but not 
fixing the half court stuff because I think people overreact about the Ben Simmons, Joel Embiid fit. Like you said, if you surround them with the right kind of shooters and half court guys, like they did a season ago with Jimmy um, and JJ and Tobias, like they can win the title. Like you can win the title with those with Simmons and Embiid on the floor together. You can do it. You just can't do it if you don't surround them with enough shooting. And they did not. They did not fix it at the deadline. So they're going to be out. Like they're going to lose their first round series because they will not score enough. It's just the playoffs, especially in the half court, you will be exposed. Like the Toronto Raptors got exposed year after year because of how they played in the half court and just the DeRozan Kyle Lowry fit just had its limitations. Um, I think we're going to see the same kind of stuff here with Philly and it's going to be frustrating and it's, it's complicated, but a lot of it too, if I'm a Philly fan, I'm really annoyed at Tobias Harris. Like this was your moment to become LA Tobias Harris again. And he's just not that guy. He's just not going to be Jimmy Butler. He's not going to be the leader in the final two minutes. He's not going to fix this offense. Um, and that sucks because you paid Tobias Harris to be that closer to replace Jimmy Butler. And he's just not, he's good, but he's just not enough to get you back in the top 10 in offense. And if he's not good enough to do that, you're paying him and Al Horford a lot of money to put together a really bad offense and a really good defense. So I, I imagine Philly fans are losing their minds this season because it's, they were so close and now it feels like they're really far away and they have a lot of bad contracts and I don't know how they fix this. I don't know how they fix it either. There's the only hope that they have is that they are legitimately more threat in the playoffs than the regular season. And there could be some merit to that because if you can muck up the game in the playoffs, there's certainly a pathway for you to just win ugly but the team is just not going to have the type of synergy and morale that they need to going in. And that's why it was I, – I won't say that these were great acquisitions, but to get Glenn Robinson the third and Alec Burks, I think it helps deepen your rotation. I think it helps balance you out in the regular season. And so it leaps – maybe it could help them – you know, that depth could potentially help them field better lineups. And if they can win some more games in the regular season, perhaps you go into the playoffs with – better chemistry, better morale overall, and that helps. But we shouldn't be talking about that with a team that is this talented but also had the flexibility to do so many different things. And I, I just can't sort of fathom why they decided to, to go this route. I know that they were worried about the Embiid list minutes, and that's why you have Horford. And the minutes with Horford and Simmons, they've been a little topsy-turvy lately, but overall in the season, they're a net plus in, in those minutes. Hey, that's great, but planning around – you know, the, the time that Joel Embiid's not going to be on the court by getting someone who's maybe not the best fit to play alongside the two of them and giving him so much money, it's it's a, it's a flawed way of thinking. And I think we're really seeing that come to bear. Maybe we're all wrong come the postseason, but they don't look like a team that's going to make a deep playoff push. Who would they play in round one if the playoffs started today? Let's see. Oh man, the two three seeds in the East are wild. I think the Sixers are six, and I, I think it's Boston they're that's fifth three right now. Oh, okay, they're fifth. So they're wow. fifth, and they would play the Heat. That's not. I don't think you would pick them to win that series. I just no. And if they fall to six, they're not beating Boston. Like I know Boston has struggled with Philly, but this year's Boston team, I think. Well, Boston's one and three against Philly this year, and so that would be what Philly sort of hangs its hat on, and maybe they're pushing for that matchup and. We just talked about Boston center rotation. They might be confident in it, but having that hodgepodge of of bigs probably isn't ideal to go up against Philly. I think the bigger issue for me is that if you put them in a potential second round or Eastern Conference Finals matchup with the Bucks, depending on where they finish in the playoffs, I don't know how you pick the Sixers to win that series. Yeah. Um, 
man, Indiana, I hope they don't finish the sixth seed. I don't want Indiana Boston. I want Victor Oladipo a different spot there. I want them to fall down to seven because I think Indy would beat the Raptors in a seven game series. There's no I, seven and eight. Like they're just, they're out of the rest of the conversation. Like the Indiana the is are not yet. Yeah. There's six, not. there's six losses ahead of the, of the that's Nets. Not happening. That's not happening. Damn. Uh, I love this Pacers team and I, I still am very excited about where they could potentially go, especially cause they have a great trade piece still. And, uh, miles Turner, um, Joe Lacob. Thanks. The Warriors can win the title next year. This is making some waves. It seems like this is something that's growing. They they think they have a couple years um, left when he when Steph and Draymond and Clay are in their early thirties before the window really officially shuts. When they have to re-sign Steph and give him that final um, major contract <laughs> when they're no longer contending and are just gonna keep selling tickets at the Chase Center. Um, do you believe that? Because I don't. I think the windows actually already closed with this core. I think they just, if they do something else, like that's what the underrated part of the Kevin Durant stuff was, was just how important he was to keeping those guys going. Like, I don't think if Harrison Barnes was there those last couple of years, they win the top, they might win it once. I don't think they win it twice. And I think looking at where Steph is, where Clay is, where Draymond's been this year, who's averaging eight, six and four shooting 28% from three, his worst since his rookie year. Like, I don't think that's enough, especially with Andrew Wiggins in the fold, um, to win. But they have this great trade kicker now because they might end up with the number one overall pick. And if they have an opportunity to flip that for an actual real piece that can um, help them now, then it's interesting. But if they're planning on using that pick, I don't see how they stay in contention because James Wiseman's not going to be contributing on a major level or Anthony Edwards while their windows going on like Steph will be 35 36 by the time that number one number two whatever it is pick is ready to really contribute um so they're in a weird dilemma right now but I don't think they have enough wing talent to really really make any noise against the two Los Angeles teams over the next couple years am I crazy for that no I I I'm probably a little bit higher on their window just because of how I view Steph Clay and Draymond Green together but they're getting older, and Clay Thompson's already missing this season. Stephen Curry, I think, probably could have played already, but he's missing most of of this season. So there are definitely concerns there. And then there would have been concerns with the fit alongside D'Angelo Russell, but the one with Wiggins is a little more problematic just because if he doesn't become an efficient shooter off the ball, and he's hit more of his shots from the corners than I expected, but is he someone that maybe you could use as a screener that that can be in a, in a more effective cutter? They're, they're banking on a lot of different things and I you know you talk about the trade piece of of this year's pick I, I do think it's valuable but the draft is supposed to be crud basically I mean I think it might be deeper with role players than people are giving it credit for but if you're going in with a top three pick and you want to use it in a blockbuster trade those teams that are going to be selling aren't looking for role players they're hoping that pick turns into a star and there seems to be a finite amount of opportunity there you also have to ask yourself what was more valuable to the Warriors in a prospective trade? Because they were, it seems like they were always going to have to make one if they wanted to really elongate <clears throat> the window of their big three right now. And what was more valuable in that? D'Angelo Russell or Andrew Wiggins and that Timberwolves pick for next year? And I think the clear answer is D'Angelo Russell. And we've already talked about two of these teams that maybe could have entered the the D'Lo market next summer. What if, what if Philly decided to bust things up? D'Angelo Russell is a good fit there. 
what if the Pacers are really deciding that, hey, we're going to keep Victor Oladipo and this is the core we're going to run with and and we like D'Angelo Russell here. You could build something around Miles Turner and, and salary filler. Maybe you get other teams involved to get the Warriors another piece. So I, I've, I struggle to believe that this is the best offer Golden State ever would have gotten D'Angelo Russell. I also don't believe that this is the only team that was really interested in him. This season, in the middle of the year, maybe. But next summer, when there's not a lot of free agents, when there's not a lot of cap space, with teams struggling to, to really find creative ways to improve, I think there would have been better offers for him on the table. So to move him now is what I think sets back that post-KD title window more than anything else. The only thing I like about this deal for Golden State is that I think D'Angelo Russell thinks he's a top 20 player or could be. Andrew Wiggins, I think, has moved on from that part of his life. I think he does not see himself as a superstar. I think he knows that he's a role player. I think he knows that that window is shut in year six, that he is not that kind of guy. And I don't think he wants to be. That was always the issue with Wiggins is I don't think he has that in him. There's nothing innate about his personality that's like, I'm going to go be the best basketball player on the planet. Um, D'Angelo Russell seems like someone who, if you asked him if he was one of the three best up and coming guards in basketball, he would say yes. <laughs> so getting that off your team, I think is a positive. Um, that said, we'll have to see what Wiggins does once they're all on the floor together. And if you, like, it's so weird that we're encouraging Wiggins to just go and hide and, uh, go do what you do best, be invisible on the court for most of the time and defend when needed things like that go be our harrison barnes because like draymond i believe it was who said that like they're trying to recreate that first run magic the problem with that is they were all significantly younger and they were all significantly less injury prone they were, they also had a lot less mileage on those tires like though you can't erase all the postseasons that steph clay and draymond have gone through like right i just think that's over so i just it's asking a lot for them as the three biggest cogs to win another title and to really contend without another star. And people joke about the super team with the big four, but part of the reason that Kevin Durant was so critical outside of the fact that he's arguably the best player in basketball is that those guys couldn't do it for another couple of years with the amount of wear and tear that they had already gone through in their prime that it just wouldn't have happened. So Kevin Durant, carried them to a couple more rings like i don't think those three being the centerpieces on a title team can withstand paul george and Kawhi or lebron and ad i just don't think that's in the cards anymore but if you can flip that pick and like you said we'll have to see or just flip wiggins contract even though that's probably unlikely um they're just in a weird spot and maybe they get Giannis, and that's what extends it that's that might be it if you sign Giannis in a couple years there you go that's how you continue winning rings um their path there almost seems harder now just because you have to get rid of two of your max players for well, it to work out in this scenario You're right but i'm saying yeah. it would have been easier to get off of the angel russell than andrew wiggins and that's that's where i sort of i don't think that yeah. green might be readily movable either the, the defensive iq is still there and i know people have really criticized his numbers this year but if you watch him and just what he can do on defense and the fact that golden state isn't the worst defensive team in the league this year it's almost a credit to him i just don't know that anyone's going to look at his, his extension and love it either it's definitely i think it's you could still move him but now the second big moving part of all that where you have to get rid of two of your max players i stand by the fact that it unless wiggins just busts out and Look, it's a possibility, but I don't want to hear no, uh, he's no, about to turn this. 25. Don't do this, Dan. He's been here for six years. At some yeah. point, he just is what he is. And so 
you're saying don't do this. I'm in that camp. But they can. Yeah. It's a fact. He's under 25 for the next like three days or something. He turns mm-hmm. 25 this month, but he's been, it's year six. And so you're looking at this contract. I think it's a lot harder to move than it ever would have been to move D- D'Angelo Russell. And so and now and it's also a lot harder, you know, independent of the Giannis conversation. I think it's a lot harder to use Andrew Wiggins as the salary anchor in that big type trade, even if you're giving up both your pick and the Timberwolves pick. I I, I still think D'Angelo Russell and your pick might have taken you further than Wiggins. Uh, you're banking a lot on him turning into someone that he hasn't been. I'm not talking about a star, but if you even want him to play the Harrison Barnes role, I know he's had, this is like his eighth coach. It's actually his fifth, but it's like his zillionth coach. Maybe consistency does him good. And again, maybe he gets better, but how much better does he have to get for that contract to be viewed as something a team is going to want to take back in any scenario? I just think it was far easier to move Russell than it ever will be to move Andrew Wiggins. If Golden State, I have no idea how the money would work here. Um, I'm not a capologist. Well, I'll get Seth Partner on the phone or Jeff Siegel, friend of the pod, in a little bit. But um, my favorite idea, just because the Warriors being the Warriors and light years and all that kind of stuff, I would be interested if they called the Houston Rockets and they were like, so Draymond Green, our fr- number one overall pick, and anything else other than Steph and maybe Clay. Maybe. It, it, you would have to do a lot more. Probably not getting Clay for James Harden. Why would it? I don't know what that does for the Warriors. I don't think it's a great trade the title for the- than that, that next year. They win the title. With Harden and Steph, and are you assuming they keep Clay? I'm, if I'm yeah. Houston, I'm not doing that trade without Clay. And if I'm the Warriors, I don't, I don't know how you would do that trade while giving up both Draymond Green and Clay Thompson. And the money is so difficult. I just don't. Stephen Curry can fit beside anybody, but that all of a sudden now. Those two, man, I would love to see it for a full year. So I would, would love. To so would opposing offenses. I um, I don't know. I I think that would be like. I just think that's my favorite. Like off the wall idea for them is just calling houston being like hey you want to get off that james harden contract while y'all fall out of contention with russell westbrook and friends for the next couple years do you want to because they're shedding salary uh tillman fertita all about uh making a profit so i don't i don't know that's just my favorite one to think about i think uh, it's probably beyond implausible and i would save yourself the brain power of thinking about it and move on to something else (laughs) uh you're probably right you're probably right um yeah, well, I think we've figured it out. I think we've solved um, what basketball is going to look like. Um, to wrap up here, what is your gut telling you? Who's winning the title? So my preseason pick that I'll stand by just because I don't, I'm a man of stubborn principle. It was the Nuggets. I don't feel confident what? in that. I mean, yeah, I remember you telling me about this a couple of months ago, and it's still just as baffling. I don't know how you look at it now though and think that it like can't really be that the Bucks seem like the 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 mo- the best pick right now there there are three teams that i have on one tier the lakers the clippers the bucks and then there's just everybody else and, and the nuggets are probably in that second tier i honestly can't decide like i'm sticking by my nuggets pick in, in part because of the indecision i have between the two la teams and milwaukee i so badly want to pick milwaukee but the past two postseasons have just you know were those eye-opening or just sort of anomalies there's just so much going in here. I do think that the Clippers really did themselves a huge favor in this discussion, though, by getting Marcus Morris. I think he ends up being a, a great fit for them. He's low-key been awesome this year. Have you watched a lot of Knicks this year? I know it's tough. More than I should have. He's playing like mellow with defense. 
Right. I was watching some of those shots he was taking this year, and you'll watch the way he plays, like off the pick and pop, and just he's a good catch and shoot shooter now, and it's it's just creepy. The release, everything about it was just. I watched this full game, and I was like, I was writing down my notes. I'm like, he if you put number seven on his back, like you could tell me that that's Carmelo Anthony from like five years ago. Yeah, it's watching some of his shot selection. He's hitting like a million percent of his off the dribble threes yes. for, for the year. And that's not, he did some of that stuff in Boston, but it was never at this volume. And the fact that he's doing that, he's like, he's mellow with better shot selection yes. then too. Efficient so, mellow who plays right. defense. And uh, I think the one concern though that you can have is how does that player fit on a Clippers team that probably isn't going to give him the same freedom on the ball where he's going to, he's hit a lot of catch and shoot looks, but we've gone through this with Mello and I don't want to, I don't want to compare these two players, but it's harder if you're used to having the ball in your hands to just all of a sudden go to this catch and shoot option. I do think given how effective he was at times in Boston, it's a role that he could play, but it'll be interesting, maybe even a little bit of a, a shell shock transition to see just the volume and flexibility he was afforded in New York to the probably more limited license that he's going to have with, with the Clippers. Yeah, he's. I don't think he's going to have as much ball handling responsibility in L.A. That'd be my guess. I mean, who knows? Paul George is just injured all the time now, so maybe he will. Who knows? <laughs> That's true. But um, yeah, I'm excited for the pick and pop with him and Paul George and Kawhi. It's going to be very, very tough to defend and with Montrezl. Um, all right. I mean, I'm sticking with my pick, the Clippers. I would still be pretty shocked if the Clippers do not win the title if they're both healthy. I should have that caveat. If Kawhi Leonard and Paul George are healthy for the remainder of the playoffs... They, uh, I, I don't see how they lose a seven game series. I, I just, I don't. I, I don't think people are talking enough about how the Lakers lost at the deadline by not only not making a move. Well, hold on. They're getting Deion Waiters or J.R. Smith. So I don't know how you could say that. So they're losing twice is what you're saying. <laughs> but the, look, the, the thing is, is that it's not just that they didn't make a move and you could almost admire them not doing that because LeBron, te- LeBron's teams have this tendency to do too many things at the trade deadline. And if you have like good team chemistry, behind the scenes why bust it up but not only did you not make a move but the clippers got probably your top target in marcus morris and so i would have given up coups for marcus morris wouldn't you have yeah without i i think the the, i don't i saw the report from i think it was the la times that the knicks um rejected kuzma and danny green as an offer so it seems like they were willing to give up um kyle kuzma i don't know if you should have gone as far to include danny green as well i think he becomes really important Important to you in the playoffs, and you know that he's under contract for next season. I know he hasn't had the best year, but still. Uh, so uh, to lose out on this, I think they probably just value Kyle Kuzma too high in other scenarios. I don't know if I would have moved him in a Derrick Rose trade, but like if you could expand that deal, maybe it's like two non-simultaneous trades, one of them a three-teamer, where you would have also gotten, you know, if you got Tony Snell and Derrick Rose, just another wing who can shoot and defend. That's something that I would have considered, and I don't know how deep into the woods they went on on looking at making a trade along those lines i'm also wondering because those trades pretty much all of them would have included giving up demarcus cousins i'm wondering if that was just like sort of a no-go for them is he too close with anthony davis or something so i mean it'll be interesting because they're gonna sign someone on the buyout market and he would be the candidate to waive but if they end up waiving someone else you know if it's a if it's a troy daniels or a jared dudley that's not i guess completely ridiculous but cousins is coming off an acl injury who knows if he'll be ready this season i'm just wondering if some of their scenarios more ambitious scenarios were off the table because they weren't willing to trade cousins because he's so close with a day that's just pure speculation on my part though i do wonder if um demarcus cousins plays this 
this year and what that looks like. What does he do for this team with McGee and Dwight Howard playing so well, though? That's a good question. I really don't know. I guess you put him in small forward. Like, what? <laughs> <laughs> no, you make him your 15th man. Yeah, that's like he if he's healthy, it can play, though, and he's not playing. That's something else that you have to consider, too. He just but. keeps the vibe up. He's the, the guy who keeps the stars happy. That's his role. He is a he's the new James Jones. Uh, would he want that role, though? He, James Jones accepted <laughs> that role. I think it seems and maybe this seems counterintuitive, but I would just announce that he's out for the season just so that neither he uh, gets like under the illusion that he's going to play. And then you don't have to worry about integrating him right now, because I don't know how he helps this team. I, I, I honestly mean, if don't. He's healthy there. What will happen would be my guess is McGee goes out of the rotation and they keep Howard as the backup five and they just do those two together. I, I, so the value there would be that maybe he then upgrades your minutes without LeBron on offense. Yeah. The Lakers have been um, a crap show when Rondo and AD play without LeBron on the court. And so maybe DeMarcus Cousins helps with that. That That's a good argument to make. I think LeBron should win MVP this year. You can't talk me out of Giannis Antetokounmpo, but he is number two on my ballot. I, um, I think part of it is just because I'm just expecting Giannis to be this freak of nature at this point and I think you're probably right there but like LeBron in year 17 just having a 10.15 real plus minus and just murdering people this year and just turning the switch back on after missing the playoffs last year and integrating him and Davis flawlessly and like that roster still sucks around him like that Lakers roster still sucks and um it's just fine. They're just like, nope, we have two top five players in basketball. We're just going to kill everybody. And that's exactly what they did. Like, this could have easily gone south for LeBron and company. And I think they deserve credit for being 39 and 12 at this point, um, being fourth in offense, fourth in defense. And I think that's more LeBron than AD. I think both are awesome. Oh, it's not even a, it's not even a question. If you look at their on-off splits, the Lakers are like a, a severe net negative when Davis plays without LeBron. And then they're just steamrolling opponents when LeBron plays without AD. And I think that comes, you know, AD is a superstar, but it comes back to the diminishing value of bigs who aren't, who don't excel at not just creating their own offense, but creating offense for others. And that's why I think there's a clear path to arguing that Nicole Jokic is more important to his team than any version of Anthony Davis to, to his squad. Um, and he's the best at hitting one footed, uh, game winners. He is, he is the guy who makes you, aside from like the sheer enormity of him being at seven, seven feet, standing at seven feet, he's the guy that you watch play basketball and, and could make you believe that, hey, you know what, maybe I could play basketball. If you're a kid, I'm saying. like That's, yeah. the, that's the quintessential player right now. You look and be like, hey, maybe, maybe I could do this. God. Round two, pick 41. Yeah, what a steal. I, I don't like you know when people talk about how many people passed on him. I'm like, the Nuggets themselves passed on him in that yeah. draft. They just ended up with him again. To find that sort of value, I mean, you look at him, you look at uh, Manu Ginobili, just some of the, the uh, Draymond Green, obviously, but you look at some of the guys that have just come out of the second round, it just seems somewhat random and compared to what they've turned into. Uh, Jokic, I, I think he has a chance to be the, I'm trying to go through, since obviously you don't have this pulled up, trying to go through who was selected in, in round two. And I'm, I'm thinking between, uh, Jokic has a chance, is what I'm saying, to be the best second round pick in NBA history, I think, unless I'm forgetting yeah. somebody glaring. I know Manu's up there. Draymond Green needs to be up there. I'm trying was to think Draymond of somebody else. Round? I thought he was late first. No, he was early second. Okay. Hmm. Yeah, that's probably. Um, 
No, nobody. I can't think of anybody that makes. Yeah, Draymond Green was 35, so he was actually. I, I thought he was like 33, so he was like a little bit later than I expected. But he was, he was an early second round pick. That's a good. Uh, this could be an article idea. Best second round pick ever. That has to oh, be yeah, an article. We just have we we didn't preemptively Google it because it wasn't on the topics of of discussion. Nick Van Exel was in the second round. I forgot about him. Just pulled Side that up. White side. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that is certainly a name. Mm-hmm. Oh, I forgot. Uh, Marcus Saul was in the second round too. Was he really? Yeah. Hmm. Marcus Saul might. He's an NBA champion. Michael Red was in the second round. I didn't even remember that. What a fascinating rabbit hole this became. Isaiah Thomas was on the verge, maybe before the injuries. He, yeah, I mean, I mean, the fact that he was the last pick in the draft, and what he turned, he was fifth, and he's the best last pick in the draft. Yeah, that's not even a question. Ooh, Gilbert Arenas. Yeah, he was his career long enough. No, probably not. Um, Mm. Alex English was in the second round. Willis Reed was in the second round. But how how long were those rounds at that point? I think that's where it gets a little bit iffy. True, true. All right, Dan. Well, this has been great. Glad we were able to catch up on some hoops today. Um, is there anything we should check out from you from Hardwood Knox or anything that you're writing this week? Uh, writing a whole bunch of stuff. I have a bunch of projects in the air, both at Hardwood Knox and Bleach Report. So the best way would just be follow my Twitter feed at Dan Favalli. I'll have all my work posted up there. All right. There you go. Um, breaking news in the pod. Los Angeles Wildcats party ways with their DC Pepper Johnson. Um, the XFL already firing people after one weekend of football. Figured you needed to know that before I signed off. That seems like a pretty on-brand XFL thing to happen. <laughs> Getting fired your first weekend—that's that's rough. Um, but uh, you know, XFL, keep it going. I, I I enjoyed watching it this weekend. Um, all right, Dan. Well, I appreciate it. Go check out Dan's stuff. Go listen to Hardwood Knox, and we will talk basketball again very soon. Most definitely. Thank you for having me as always, Chase. All right, that'll do it for today's episode of the Chase Thomas Podcast. Thank you uh, to the wonderful guests for coming on today's show. Thank you uh, to my wonderful listeners for listening to today's episode. Uh, I greatly appreciate it. Um, If you like today's episode, leave a five-star rating and a review on Apple. It would be great. Um, It helps the show continue to grow, and I would very much appreciate it. Uh, You can also support the show on Patreon by going to patreon.com slash chase thomas writer. for as little as $5 a month, it helps the show keep the lights on. So that would be a great help to me as well. Uh, you can also follow me on Twitter at chase underscore Thomas. You could go to chase com, which has all of my stuff, all my episodes ever um, links to everything that you need um, and all of my writing that uh, I'm doing fairly often these days um, on the NFL, on NBA, on college football, on pro wrestling. I write about everything. I write a lot. Um, so go read me on that front so if you're not tired of listening to me you can also read me um so that's awesome but uh i think that's enough self-promotion from me for one episode Uh, i hope you continue listening that would be great and uh i will talk to you all again very soon thanks guys nicely done nephew Chase Thomas Podcast. Hell yeah.